you and I have a problem. <laughs> That's an understatement, right? We got a problem. Because we're always looking for something better. We are always looking for the next best thing. These better than life moments. You and I will honestly struggle forever to be satisfied. We're always going to be looking for something better. What I'd like to call better than life moments. What does that look like? It's like when you're on vacation and you got that virgin pina colada in your hand, Pastor Ariel, and then you on the beach and you're like, ah, this is the life. You know what I'm saying? You're down in clear water or whatever beach you want to be at. You know what I'm saying? You down in Florida. I don't know why people go down there, but they be going down there. And you got moments where you're like, it can't get any better than this. How many of you have actually said those words? I've said them. I've said them. You and I are in pursuit always. Something inside of us wants those better than life moments. But tonight I'm here to tell you, instead of searching for better than life moments, we should be pursuing a better than life love. And that, my friend... Is the love of God. And as we go verse by verse, and as we explore God's word in this series, it'll give us spiritual insight in the heart of one of the most famous people in the Bible, and his name is David. Say, David. This series is going to give us spiritual insight on David's heart for God, God's kindness towards us, and the better-than-life love that is available to us every day. You see... The key to a better-than-life moment, the key to a better life is a better-than-life love. The question that comes to mind is why? Why should we want this love? Why should we pursue this love? And in a very real way, this love that comes from God will define any situation in any moment. Here's what I mean by that. No matter where you find yourself tonight, students, you can rejoice and be broken before God and say this. Your love is better than life itself. That in turn will turn your heart and eyes towards God and his promises and off the pain, suffering and sadness that you and I face. We are going to dive into Psalm 63. So right now in your Bibles, go ahead, go find Psalm 63. If you got a physical Bible, just wave it at me. Just wave it at me. I love it. If you got a glow Bible, just kind of do one of these. One of these, that's fine. You got a glow Bible. We're not going to read it just yet, but I want to give you some time. Psalm 63 and whatever version, whatever, whatever version of the Bible you got, as long as it's the Bible. But can I explain what's happening? Can I give you all some context? Before we get into this, I think if I tell you what it is that we're about to read before we get into it, it's going to save us some time. And almost, I won't say almost, but pretty much set you up to really receive what God has for you tonight. So Psalm 63, if you've ever read it, maybe tonight's your first time, it brings us to a really real moment in the life of David. Scholars debate on whether or not this was sung by David during a time of what they believe to call the wilderness years. Say wilderness. Years where David was wandering and running for his life in the wilderness. Or he sang this still in the wilderness running from his son Absalom who basically rebelled and dethroned his father which is David. Either way, David finds himself singing the song in the wilderness, a wilderness. This is a, it's a hard moment for David. So when we read this, it's not just another verse. Something, something crazy is happening right now. Either David, either we read this on the ladder, which is David is running from a king who he once used to be friends with, and now this king wants to kill him. It's kind of crazy. Say that's crazy. This 
king, this guy that mentored David and had David given, given David opportunities, now all of a sudden wants his head. On the other side, the scholars debate, is now David is king, and his son, through the chattering and the back door under the table politicking from people around, now he has a son who is overthrowing him and wants to exile David. And so David goes on the run. So this isn't a Chuck E. Cheese moment for David. This isn't a moment in David's life where, like, things are going great. This is a moment in David's life where everything is going wrong. Where anything that could happen, bad, is happening. So either way, Saul or Absalom, David the hero is now David the refugee. David the giant slayer is now David the cave dweller. David, David is broken in this moment. So before we read, get that. He's broken. David is in the wilderness. And what comes out of his mouth one day? When he's fearing for his life? When I read this psalm, uh, the guys were doing a study of David and Saul and Absalom in a book called A Tale of Three Kings. It's been awesome so far. Fellows, would you agree? On Fridays while the sisterhood is meeting, we say the misterhood is doing a book study at my house. It's at my house. So if you want to come, just holler at me. It's been awesome. So my guys kind of know a little bit more about David. But what comes out of his mouth in one of the worst times of his life? A praise. This means that David both knew and experienced something of God's loving kindness that what? That sustained him, that held him in his lowest moments. You see, this better than life love will sustain you in your highest and in your lowest moments. That's why we need it more than anything else. So the title of this series is called Better Than Life. Tonight, Tonight, you're, you're right, you're right. Tonight, tonight, we're focusing on this part one, a praise from the wilderness. Leave that up real quick. A literal praise comes from his mouth. A confession of love comes bursting out of his heart, formed, no doubt, by tears streaming down his sunburnt cheeks, and with dry and chapped lips, he releases this song into the atmosphere. And the song that we read tonight is Psalm 63. It begins to take form. The psalm is titled, A Psalm of David When He Was in the Wilderness of Judah. Can we stand for God's word tonight? Would you stand as we read? So, your version, the ESV, NIV, NLT, the message, ESV, New King James Version, the King James Version, if you're T.D. Jakes, whatever it is, we're going to read this together. If you don't have a Bible, I've got something called the Sky Bible, but we are going to read the entirety of Psalm 63. Psalm 63 is 11 verses. Stay with me. It's not too long. It's not too long. But let's read it. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. 
When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches because you have been my helper. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. The life breathe on us tonight as we discover what it means to have a better-than-life love that can only come from your kindness. Speak to us tonight. Don't allow me to preach your word in a way that you didn't intend it, God. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. You may be seated. We are only covering. You're like, that was a lot. No, it wasn't. We are going to only cover tonight verse 1 and verse 2. That's it. We are only going to start leaving right there. And we are not just going to read the entire verse and try to decipher it. Because let me tell you something. When I did a deep dive into this psalm, I really believe that there's so much knowledge and wisdom and treasures that are within certain words and phrases. And so tonight, as we go through verse 1 and 2, we are literally going to go phrase by phrase. I hope you're ready. Are you ready? Say amen. In the first verse, it begins with God, oh God, you are my God. Leave that up there. This may seem like David is kind of like repeating himself, right? This may seem a little bit redundant, kind of like he's randomly repeating something that it's like the person, I'm not going to pick fun of you, but it's like a person that prays that says, Lord God, every three seconds. If you haven't been in church, just wait. If you pray like that, amen. You're declaring his name. But you're like, I wonder, you read this, oh God, you are my, it kind of sounds like, oh, oh, that's weird. Why are you repeating yourself? But but he's not. It's not unnecessary. David, in the first few words, is declaring something that is very important before we continue, we dive into this. David is declaring something. He's declaring to Elohim that he was David's L. That he was David's L. Pause. We're going to do a little vocab. Y'all, y'all like vocab? We're going to get into this. So I, I, I'm going to break it down for you here in a second. But he's making a declaration. Say declaration. So he's not just groaning for God. He's not just throwing up God's name. He's doing something specific. And so I needed to understand what the Hebrew word Elohim is, what, what he's saying. When you, hear, when you see the word God, you see Elohim in Hebrew. I wanted to know what that meant, so I, I had to text a pastor friend of mine. His name is Pastor Vocab. He's a great friend of mine. Uh, can I show y'all some screenshots of our text messages? All right, here we go. Next slide. I said, hey, yo, what does Elohim mean? Well, he said, the root meaning of El is might, strength, and power. That's pretty good. So in the word Elohim, we see a root word that we need to understand. So he sent that to me at 7.30. I said, that's crazy. (laughs) Say, that's crazy. I said, what else? He's dropping bombs on me. Notice I read it five minutes later. It's all right. Sometimes the word El refers to the pagan gods of nations surrounding Israel. Whoa. Pause for a second. So this word El was used to describe other gods, like pagan gods. Okay, he dropped some knowledge on me. When it refers to the one true God, the word is always what? Capitalized, meaning gods of gods. That's crazy. So we kept texting back and forth. It started to get a little late. He said more often about 2,600 times in the Old Testament, the name El occurs in plural form as Elohim. I said, on God of gods? He said, yeah. He said, facts. 
<laughs> Come on, if you don't laugh at that, you're weird. He said facts. He said this form, sometimes called the plural of majesty, emphasizes that the God of Israel is the one true God of the universe. I kind of felt bad because I fell asleep on him. Uh, I didn't read that till 10, so it's whatever. Some of y'all be doing that. It's whatever. So we kept talking. He goes, you still there? And I said, hey, yo. <laughs> he goes, I right, remember. So this is what I want you to take away. All right, I'm giving you some personal in- in- insight on my relationship with Pastor Vocab. He said, I right, remember. El, or Elohim, the one true God, declares. Listen to that word declare. What is David doing when he says, oh, God, you are my God? He's what? Say it again. He's what? Over here. Say it. He's what? Over there. What are you saying? He's declaring. He declares that our world belongs. I don't know why Pastor Vocab be extra. He couldn't just say belongs. He says belongs to him. I said, bet. See you next week. And I give him good old hearty. Yurt. David is making a statement here. A statement that you and I need to pay attention to. He has declared that God, the one true God, is his God. Oh God, you are my God. The God that I'm going to follow. In a day, in a day where pagans thought there were many gods and each nation had their own gods, David, David brushes all those ideas to the side and he basically claims allegiance to Elohim, to the God of gods, and that's on God of gods. Which leads me to my first observation when we see, oh God, my God, is this question that you need to ask yourself this. Is he my God? Is he my God? David is confessing his allegiance to God, his personal God, his very close and dear friend, God, not the God just of his father, not just the God of his brothers or his once sane king, but his God. His faith in God was his. His relationship with God was his own. In a world dead set on creating idols, he is declaring whose side he's on. Whose side are you on? Because you can't be in the middle. You can't. Because reality is, the middle is just you choosing still the opposite of God. Student, leader, is he your God? You cannot and will not know the better than life love that we're going to be talking about if you, don't, if you do not know the better than life God because of his love. You want a better life in whatever situation you could find yourself in to say these words like David, then you must know a better than life God so you can find his better than life love. What I'm saying here and what David is saying here is there's a difference between being a fan of Jesus and a follower of Jesus. I read this stat last night, but 78% of students were surveyed, and they all said that they were Christian. But if I'm not mistaken, only 8% actually demonstrated a committed lifestyle to Jesus. So people are claiming Christianity, but a small percent actually follows Jesus. So if you come here, this is going to be a hard truth, but I love you. If you come here on Thursdays, and between Thursday and the next, 
You live life the way you want to. You do things your way without any regard for God, his feelings, or the teachings of Jesus. Then the truth is you are not a Christian. You're just a fan. You're just a fan. What happens when you are a fan of a sports team and they start not living up to your expectations? You pick another team. Talk, start talking bad about coach. You start blaming other players. But when you're a follower of Jesus, you're on a winning team. And your life changes. And in hard times and seasons of life that are hard, you're able to rely on the people around you, the community, the faith community that is this church, that is this youth ministry student. Is he your God? And you have to answer that. It's not a question that you can put off. It's not a question that you can run over. The reason why I put it as, is he my God? Because when you read it in your notes later, you are asking yourself that question. Is he your God? You cannot and will not know the better than life love if you don't know the better than life God because he is love. Let's look at the next part of this. So we get David is declaring. Let's look at the next part. Go ahead. He says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. All my morning people say, you're all the people that are not morning people and want to cut people and punch people in the face for being er morning people say, hey, yo. Sometimes I take the bus for fun. I know that's just weird. It's true. I be taking the bus for fun because I'm like, God, what if one day I'm on the bus the same time another person's on the bus and they need to hear about you? So I take the bus. That, that, I'm not trying to be oversaved. I'm not trying to be pastor, is he? But it's true. I take the bus sometimes because I'm like, you know what? What if the person I sit next to needs encouragement? What if the Holy Spirit speaks to me? So I'll be taking the bus. I play a little game. I say, how many times can I get the bus driver to say, hi, good morning, hello, how's it going? And let me tell you something. When you take the bus in the morning, they don't want to look at you. They don't want to talk to you. I literally one time said good morning, and I was like, I'm going to try to get this guy to at least look at me and smile. And I was like, okay, here we go. So I put my little backpack on, I get on the bus, and I do one of these. True story, I went, good morning! And he looked at me with hate in his eyes. Oh, he's like, get away from me. So it's usually the afternoon or evening bus drivers that like to say things, but some people just aren't early morning people. Pastor Ariel is an early morning person. So he's saying, early will I seek you. When God becomes your God, when you have made that decision that you are a Christ follower, that you obey God's commands, you'll begin to want to seek him. So you're like, Pastor Izzy, I don't know if God is my God. How do I know if he is my God? Do you seek him? Do you seek him? Do you read his word? Do you worship? Do you talk to him? What am I mean? What am I meaning? I'm meaning, do you spend time with him to discover more about him? So another question I have for you is this. Next slide. If he is your God, then why don't you seek him? Oh, God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Okay, you're everything to me. I follow you. I love you. And so I'm going to seek you. So if he is your God and you're here and you're like, Pastor, I have made a decision to follow God, to follow Jesus. Then do you seek him? And if not, why? What is in the way? What little God is standing in front of you? What's something that you need to remove from your life in order to follow God the way you need to follow him? When this verse says early, 
right? We hear that word early. It doesn't necessarily mean early in the morning. That's not an excuse not to wake up and read your Bibles. But what it's saying and what it's describing when it says the word early is an eagerness, an immediateness. He who truly longs for God longs for him now. If you love God and you're passionate about him, you won't ever find yourself putting off the time to spend with him. I'll pray later. I'll do later. I'll read my Bible later. If he's really your God and you really understand his love for you, then when, it's, when David says, early will I seek you, he's saying, God, I want to be in your presence right now. On, on bus 77, going east to west on Belmont, God, I, want, I love you. I'm going to seek you even now. That's what he's saying. Students, do you have an eagerness to be in God's presence? Do you have an eagerness to be in God's presence? That's not on my notes, but that's something you need to write down. Long for God now. Look at this next part. Oh, God, my God, early will I seek you. Let's go to the next slide. He says something that, like, that kind of threw me off the first time I read this as a, as a young kind of shorter me. He says, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you. This is not a quote from Twilight, okay? If you ever watched Twilight when it came out, like, the way they'd be looking at each other, just, right? Just so uncomfortable. And like, they just be weird. And then because of Twilight, like, people started having relationships in high school that got, like, they just based it off of Twilight, and they would just stare into each other's souls at lunchtime. You're like, I'm just trying to get an Uncrustable. I don't even know why y'all just be doing all this. But this isn't a weird quote from a vampire movie, or you hear the word flesh, you're like, oh, my gosh. So this may sound weird at first and a little off-putting, but what David is saying is this. God, I desire your presence so much that I can feel it in my body. You and I have done this. You and I have done this. You ever wanted to be somewhere so bad you felt it? Like, I don't know. Y'all ever wanted to be done with school so bad that you can feel it? Yeah, no, y'all not awake. It's all right. Listen, I know y'all want to be so, y'all want summer to start right now. You can feel it. Some of my teachers in the room are like, I want to be done with these students so bad that I can feel it. Okay, we'll talk about this since y'all don't want to relate to me on that. We've all been here. Some of y'all are here right now. But you ever just love somebody? You ever just love somebody so much and wanted to be with them that almost made you sick to your stomach? <laughs> she got I'm glad that was a Wait, was that you that said that? I'm glad that was a married person because if a junior higher said that, I was going to throw this table at you. Um, I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Um Come on, we've all kind of been there, right? Like, I miss my dad sometimes so much that I can just feel it. I miss my dad so much that sometimes my stomach, it hurts. I, I, I long to hear my dad's voice again. You and I have moments in our lives where our body physically responds to the desperation of our souls. What is that? What can I take that moment and wrap it into? In the one word, it's called desire. That's longing. It's your flesh that's longing. And here's the deal. Most people don't even know that it's God that their soul actually longs for. God's presence is everything. If you long to be in his presence and invite him into whatever space you are in, God will show up and the Holy Spirit will come. And it doesn't have to be on a Thursday night. It could be on the bus. It could be on the car ride home. It could be at home. It could be at La Michoacana. 
could be at Chick-fil-A. It could be at Cane's. <laughs> he says, ew. God's presence can be wherever it is, wherever he is, excuse me, as long as you seek him. The message version, I love it. It says this. It says, God, you are my God. I can't get enough of you. I've been there. When you really experience God's power in your life, what would make these youth leaders stay in this ministry for so long? 12 years of pastoring for Ariel and I. What what has made us stay and do this and risk everything to be here? It's because we have seen God's goodness. And we can't get enough of him. We can't get enough of him. Let's look at the next part of the verse. This is still verse 1. Go ahead, show me the next slide. It says, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Charles Spurgeon, a theologian, says this. He says this about this verse. Throw it up there. He says, learn from this. And do not say, I will get into communion with God when I feel better. But long for communion now. It is one of the temptations of the devil to tell you not to pray when you do not feel like praying. Pray, how much? Twice as much then. What is he saying here? Learn from David in this moment. Learn to declare God's power and authority of your life. Don't wait for something else to numb the pain. Don't wait till you feel better. Don't wait till it brushes it to the side. Don't wait for it to blow over. In this moment, David is experiencing torment and sorrow. He's sad. He's depressed. He is just ridden with anxiety. He can't focus on anything else. And so in this moment, he says, God, you're mine. I love you. I'm going to seek you right here in this moment. Right here. I'm not going to wait till I feel better. You can make me feel better. Nothing else will do, Lord, in a dry and thirsty land. In this dry and thirsty land, some of you really, that's where you're at tonight. That's where you're at. You feel dry, you feel thirsty, but you can learn to sing God's praises now. You see, here's something, some insight. There was no desert in David's heart, though there was desert all around him. There was no desert in David's heart, though there was a desert all around him. So whatever situation you find yourself in tonight, if it's a dry and desert place, when you understand the love of Jesus, when you declare his power over you in a dry and thirsty land, your heart becomes an oasis. And though all around you seems barren and forgotten and a wasteland inside of you, God is fulfilling you with an everlasting spring, a well that will never Run dry. Let's look at verse 2 right now. Y'all still with me? Hey, that was just verse 1. That was just verse 1. That tells you something. When you read the Bible, don't worry about figuring it all out in one read. Go verse by verse, and dare I say, go word for word, as we're doing tonight. It's a way that you can disciple yourself in reading God's Word. Let's look at this first line in this observation. It says this, so I have looked for you, in the sanctuary. David sought God in the tabernacle, what we would say church today, in the same way a thirsty man looks for water in the desert. I'll say that again. In the same way that somebody who is dying of thirst looks for water in the desert is the same way David sought after God's presence in church. I want that desperation too. And I want that for this youth ministry. The wilderness that we're talking about here, I'm not talking about like a bunch of trees, the mountains, bears. 
I'm talking about the wilderness of Judea is a large desert. So this is the picture that David is saying. And this is the moment that he's bringing his, he's bringing his reality into this song. I want to show you something real quick. Here's, here's the next slide. Go ahead and show the picture. This. This is the wilderness of Judah. This is what David is in. So, again, when you hear this psalm, it's not being sung in a city. It's not being sung in a place of worship. It's being sung here. Leave that up for a second. I understand tonight. I feel this. I actually feel like there's a, a tension in the room, and I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to deal with it. I understand that some of you mentally and emotionally and spiritually, you're here. And I'm trying, really, I'm trying my best as your pastor to create an oasis here for you to come and drink of God's faithfulness and glory and power. But I cannot force you to drink. In the same way that a desert won't be in you, but around you, you can come into an oasis with a desert in you. One of the convictions I have as your pastor is to have you all come into this house and leave wanting. To come into the presence of the all-sufficient one, the one who can provide every need and still leave wanting. Preparing a table for you to come and eat of the goodness of God. Be fulfilled through his word and still leave hungry. That's my heart for you tonight is that every time you walk into this room on a Thursday night, you would leave full of God's power. But I cannot feed you. I can only show you where the table is. Some of you here tonight, you're here. And you're wondering if this is it for you. Ara, you can come up. So what is the hope for you tonight then? If you find yourself in a wilderness, if you find yourself in a desert. I can't promise you a way out as much as I would love to. I can't. But I can promise you that if you seek God and make your desert place into a desperate place, you will see God's power and glory. If you find yourself in a desert and you become desperate, I would say good. If you turn your desert place into a desperate place, you'll see God's power and glory. Here's the next slide. Here's my encouragement to you. It should say, Turn your desert place into your deepest praise. Turn your desert place into your deepest praise. I know I know it's hot. I know it's depressing. I know you might find yourself wandering with nowhere to go or running from things. But I'm encouraging you tonight as you read this verse. As you read this psalm to see what David is saying, he's saying, no matter what situation I'm in, God, you're faithful to me. And in my lowest moment will come my highest praise. And in my darkest moment will come my deepest praise. I won't let this desert destroy me. I'll let it make me desperate. And then from that comes my deepest praise. All this, all of this God declarative statement, truths and who he is, his identity, how eager he is and wants to be in his presence. What comes out of that? Next slide. You hear him say, to see your power and glory. David sought God 
in the tabernacle to connect in some way with God's power and glory. But like I said, David doesn't find himself in church. David finds himself at home when his parents are arguing. That's you. David finds himself at home when you can't look in the mirror because you don't like what you see. You find yourself in these moments in a wilderness and you're saying, what what could come out of this? What could I get? How is this better than life? This isn't better. God, it keeps getting worse. There's a better than life what for me? What could come from such a praise? His power and his glory. His power and his glory. I love the way the message puts it. When you get into God's presence, his power, his glory isn't just on display. It's given to you. Watch this. Next slide. The message version, same psalm, says this. So here I am in this place of worship. Right here on a Thursday night at 8.24 p.m. So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. Listen, God is willing to pour out his glory, his strength, his might for you. But you're not thirsty enough. Some of you have become very complacent in a desert lifestyle that you've been living. You don't realize anymore that you're being depleted of energy. You are dehydrated spiritually. But when you get in God's presence, and when you worship when you don't feel like it, when you cry out to God even though you don't feel like it, what does he give you in return? Strength, glory, power, his love, his affection. When we realize that God's better than life presence is anywhere and everywhere, we're able to tap into strength and glory. What does this do? It allows God to refresh, renew, and restore us. No matter where you're at tonight, God has a better than life love for you. And this love was freely given to us, but it cost something. It cost someone's life. And his name is Jesus. Some of you tonight, you need to respond to this. You, I, you don't feel like, that's what I'm, I feel in my spirit. There's a wrestling in this room that you don't feel like listening. There's some people that don't feel like listening and feel like they can listen. And there's a wrestling in this room. And I'm calling you to respond to this even though you don't feel like it. Even though you don't feel like it. Maybe you find yourself in a tough spot. And you need to turn your desert place into a deep praise. So here it is. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to open up the altar, and we're all going to come and take a moment to reflect on this word. But not until I do this. Somebody can take this for me. Thank you, Jim. This better-than-life love had a price. And I said that it cost someone their life. There was a man named Jesus who was the Son of God, who is the Son of God, and lived a perfect life, not sinning one time. Lived a perfect life. At the age of 30 years old, he started his ministry. And in three years, Jesus healed thousands of people. Thousands of people would come to him for help. Thousands of people would come to him in, in their desert place. Jesus, my child is going to die. That's a desert place. Jesus, if you don't heal, I don't know what's going to happen to my kid. Jesus, listen, here's my, here's my crippled friend. Uh, I know we just destroyed this roof. That's a whole other story, but I need, I need you to heal him. Jesus, my daughter is sick. I need you to heal her. Jesus, I, I know this is against the law, and, I, and, and I'm sorry I had to touch you, but I knew that if I could just touch you in my desert place, I know you'd heal me. Thousands of people would come to Jesus, and he would feed them. He would heal them. 
And it caused such a stir with religious people that were caught up in rules, that were caught up in legalism, that were caught up in judgment. And what did these people do that were stuck in their own desert place? Jews that never walked into the promised land that are still wandering the desert still today in their heart. They plotted, they plotted to kill the Son of God. They plotted to kill Jesus. And at age 33, one of his best friends, one of 12, betrayed him, turned him in. They had an illegal trial. They beat Jesus till he was unrecognizable. The sweetest, kindest man in the world. They threw him in chains and they put a crown of thorns on his head. And then they crucified him. Talk about a desert place. Talk about a place that, that if anything, should be thinking about himself. But instead, Jesus, the spotless lamb, the son of God, the perfect son of God is hanging on the cross. And he says, God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Saying, God, God, save them from their desert place. And if saving them from their desert place means that I have to die, then so be it. So he dies. Now, if I just left the story there, some of you that find yourself in a desert say, well, then where's the hope? Where's the love that you're talking about? Where's the life? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? Where's the oasis for me? The good news that I'm sharing with you tonight that I've dedicated my life to share is that Three days later, Jesus, who was once dead, was resurrected by the power of God. As he walks out of the tomb, two of his followers, two women, were there, proof that he is alive. Why does this matter? Why does this matter to you that someone died for you? Because there is a thing called sin, and sin is what does the opposite of God. It displeases him. It's evil. It's meant to destroy you. It's meant to separate you from God. Jesus came down to this earth, the Son of God, to die on the cross for your what? Your sins. For your sins, the things that you do that you know are wrong. And he died for them, and he carried them, your past, present, and future sins. And because of that, an invitation was placed. I said, hey, there's a way out of the desert. There's a way out of the desert. It's a gift. And that gift is called grace. It's forgiveness. Some of you tonight, you want out. You want out of the depression. You want out of this lifestyle that you've been living. You want hope. I'm here to give you hope that Jesus is alive. And he died for you because he loves you. And there's nothing that you can do that would ever stop him from loving you. And he wants to help you in, out of your desert place. He wants to help you. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk you through it. Listen, you can go to counselors, yes. Confide in people. That's awesome. But as I started off this message, we're always looking for something to satisfy us. And I'm here to tell you as a 30-year-old, I haven't found anything else. And God knows I've tried. I have tried to look for things that could satisfy the holes that have been in my heart. And I'm telling you tonight, Jesus is the only person that has done that for me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9, if you were to just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ died and rose again, you would be saved. Saved from what? From an eternal hell. Hell is a real place, but it was never meant for you. But because sin, it separated us. Without Jesus, you're going to go to hell. And I love you enough to express that to you. Without Jesus, you're going to stay in a desert. But with Jesus, there's hope, there's peace, there's life. There's better than life, love. It can only come from him. So tonight, I want everyone to stand. We're going to take a few minutes to do this. And real quick, with every head bow and eyes closed, I'm going to do this. I normally don't, but I want to do this.
No one looking around, except for some of my leaders. If you're here and you've never followed Jesus, you find yourself in a desert place and you're saying, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. I'm dry. I'm thirsty. I'm tired of feeling this way. And I, I have a feeling in my heart right now that I should do something about it. If you want to follow Jesus tonight, if you want to be saved, if you want to make a commitment to be a Christian, not a fan of Jesus, but a follower, a disciple, and accept this free gift, escaping hell and entering grace, that's you tonight. I'm going to count to three. Nothing super special. I'm just going to give you time. Everything inside you doesn't want you to raise your hand. I feel that. Everything telling you, you don't need to raise your hand. It's pointless. I'm, I'm calling you tonight to do the opposite of what you feel. So one, Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. Two, he loved you so much that he was resurrected to live for you. Three, if that's you, I want you to just slip up your hand and put it right back down. Slip up your hand. I see that hand. Awesome. Come on, is there anybody else? I saw that hand back there. Come on, is there anybody else? Don't wait. Don't wait. I can't promise you a way out of the desert, but I can promise you fulfillment in it. Is there anybody else you're saying, I want to give this Jesus a try? I want to follow him for the first time. Is there anybody else? Come on. You feel something in your heart. You kind of feel something physically. That's the Holy Spirit calling you. Just lift up your hand. Just lift up your hand. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else? I want you to repeat after me. Dear Jesus. Come on, everyone say it, especially if you lifted your hand. Dear Jesus, I recognize you as the Son of God. You lived a perfect life, which made you the perfect candidate to redeem the world, to redeem me. I recognize tonight that I'm lost, that I need a Savior, and that you are the one that has saved me. Tonight, I accept the free gift of grace, the free gift of forgiveness for all my sins that was paid for on the cross. Jesus, I believe you died and you were resurrected. And because of that, because of my outward confession, tonight, I'm saved, I'm delivered, I'm healed, I'm whole. Tonight, I start a relationship with you and begin a new life in Jesus. In Jesus' name. Come on, everyone says, come on, amen. Come on, let's give it up.